You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Episode 322 of the New Utah Podcast. Um, and I have to go fix when Bree started talking as soon as I started <laughs> recording. <laughs> she was mad at me because I was uh, giving her a hard time. We've, we've been talking for like 30 minutes uh, pre-show. We don't have a guest today because it's uh, Utah Adventure Week. Uh, and so we we sometimes get to talking and Jeremy's like, I want to go home. Can we record? <laughs> So here we are. There's a show about Utah and all the things we love about it. Uh, I get some special extra uh, love this week. Um, That's right. With uh, Utah Adventure Week, we, we pick one week out of the month, usually the last week of the month, and we do something special uh, this year. And God, I don't know. It might be for a couple of years. Uh, we're doing- Might as well. It's fun. Utah Adventure Week where we take field trips yeah, uh, yeah. at some point during the month ahead of it. And so- um, Sometimes Different we'll record Utah stuff. monuments, parks, just permanent Utah things, things, places of interest. So we've been to Gilgal Gardens and and um, the International Peace Gardens and uh, the aquarium. Went to the aquarium. That's right. The planetarium. Uh, the planetarium. The zoo. Um, and uh, this week we've got another one for you that we'll we'll share in a little bit. But um, uh, first, yeah. you have to hear us rant. I mean, I did just, just kidding. I did just spew a whole bunch of shit out to teach Julia some economics. Well, and I lessons. was ready to keep listening. Dad was like, "I won't go." Yeah, I'm not going to do that to our <laughs> listeners. Um, it's not. Uh, it wasn't so much ranty as it was educational. Um, Education. I was the one who kept asking questions. So. I mean, it's uh, if you're interested in how the world works and what this country's facing right now, um, it's probably interesting stuff. But this shows about Utah. Uh, and not about the country as a whole. Although I will say this. One of the things that I like about Utah is, you know, as a conservative run state, um, we're an incredibly conservative state economically. And we navigated COVID extremely well, especially in comparison to some of the other states in the union. Yeah. Um, we, uh, have an economy that when the recession hit in 2008, um, and you know, there were areas of the country that were at 25% unemployment. Um, and, uh, really, I mean, we had whole cities essentially collapse like Detroit yeah, I was gonna say basically Detroit. collapse. Um, Utah stayed the course and, you know, we still had a recession, but it wasn't near as bad as the rest of the country. It was somewhat insulated. Um, so Utah does, I think, a very, very good job from a, a conservative, economical, fiscal uh, point of view managing the state. I don't agree necessarily with the socially conservative things that we do at times, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, that's one of the reasons I really like Utah is, is from a fiscal standpoint. We're also not so stupid like Texas that we try to run our own fucking power grid. Um, <laughs> holy crap. If you've been watching or reading any of the shit going on with their power grid and what they're doing to their customers in Texas, it's absurd. It is so insane. And supposedly it's so that you have more choice, but it still ends up being like you have one or two carriers in your area that you can get power from and, 
they're essentially still monopolies in those areas and they're not highly regulated and they have shit grids. So <laughs> sounds like Verizon and T-Mobile to me. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, did you see? Okay. This is not Utah related, but sort, of, but sort of is. Did you see T-Mobile is settling a huge class action lawsuit from a data, uh, data breach? I, uh-uh. I've heard bits and pieces of it. So if you're a T-Mobile customer, you should, uh, look at the, uh, the details. T-Mobile has, has, uh, started a huge settlement for a giant class action lawsuit from a data breach that they had. Um, so you're likely entitled to some monetary compensation if, you have, if you've been a T-Mobile customer for a long time or were at one point. Uh, I'd look into it. Get your $6.52. That's right. <laughs> it's always funny when you see these huge lawsuits, but if you really look into it, like... The, if you split it up to everyone, you get well, like a dollar and a so penny. The thing is, is like the attorneys that fight the lawsuit end up with the lion's share with a huge chunk of it. I mean, usually we're talking probably 30 to 40% of the settlement ends up going to the attorneys that are fighting the settlement or, or that have done the, the class action suit. And that's a big legal team, you know, it's, that has gone through a lot of crap. And so whatever it's that, that's how, because they don't do it. They do it for free, essentially on the back of the settlement being their payment. Um, and then when the settlement occurs, they basically, for a class action suit, they send out notices to everyone potentially affected, and you go and sign up, essentially, and say, hey, here's my information. I was impacted by this. Uh, and then there's some time period that they have to collect all those people. And then once all those people are collected in that time frame, they then go, okay, we're going to split it up. 200 million ways <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, 200,000 ways or whatever. And, you know, then you have all your processing fees and everything like that to run the program, to administer that program. And so you sometimes end up with, like, I remember, I think it was the, because uh, all of the major music labels uh, had a big class action lawsuit from the mid nineties to the early two thousands. Yeah, I remember all that. For for price setting on on music. And so if you ever bought CDs, they they had a all CDs cost the same amount when you went to the store. And it was it was one hundred percent price setting occurring by the industry, which is illegal. It's against the law. That's that's the specific reason monopolies are bad. Uh and so you had these handful of music industry execs who went, let's make all our price this. Uh, and so because of that, and because the prices should have honestly probably been cons- considerably cheaper, um, there was a big class action suit. And I remember I signed up as part of that, and I think I got a check for $5.67. Because <laughs> you had to identify like how many CDs you think you had purchased in that time frame. Uh, and you know, once all that data was compiled, I think, I bought a lot of fucking CDs, and it was like, five bucks, something like that. Yep. <laughs> and I got a check for like five bucks. <laughs> There's... There's those attorney's offices that that's all they do. That's how they run their business is finding those class action suits and that's how they make their money. Well, and I, I mean, the, on the one hand, I mean, they make their money that way. And while to the consumer, the payout's not great, the hit to the company, hopefully in those to those suits ends up being big enough that they don't do the same shit again. Um, that's the, that's the idea, right? That's the hope. Whether or not that happens is. Beyond me. Who knows? Uh, so we got some stuff coming up this next weekend. Uh, it is, uh, we just finished up Pie and Beer Day, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but Julia, your store's opening finally. Yep, in a like couple of days. Two months later than we thought. 
Just a month later. Well, you thought the beginning of June initially. That's true. The very beginning before I told anyone mm-hmm. any kind of dates. Yeah, I was going to be like June 11th. Then I was like, maybe the end of June. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to play it. So It'll be make July, it the end of July. And so now it's the end of July and you're actually going to open. And now I'm actually going to open. Now I'm finally approved. That licensing crap took so long. I think there's only one person running the whole state and they were, they were playing bingo the whole time. I don't uh, know. I mean, it feels that a way. A three week wait for a login. It, that's a long time. It's probably not more than a couple. <laughs> It's like, yeah. you know, Utah is really great for small businesses, but there are some things like that that is just... Not where Murray requires you to do your taxes online, so I had to make the Utah State tax ID thing yeah. and... Well, you should have The, the login for it. That, yeah. The tap account login. Probably every, yeah. every client of mine who I help with re- redesigning a building, and it, they all go through this, and it takes them so much yeah. longer than they wanted... To get all but the that's, licensing. That's, that's just the way it goes. That's the way it works. That's I the mean, way government works. City governments are bureaucratic nightmares sometimes. I just, as soon as it hit that three weeks till I opened, I immediately called them and then I was like, are you open? They're like, yep. And then I you had want- dad print out my papers, brought them right in. And then I called him the next day and then I called him the next day and then I called him the next day and then I called the fire department and he was like, can you do it right now? And I was like, yeah. You know, you could. It took longer to unlock the door than it took to do the fire inspection. Well, because it's like a fucking closet. I mean, it's about as big as this room. It's little. It's so, a little 300 It might be a little baby. bit bigger than this. It's a little bigger. Not but by much. Not by much. Not by a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, yeah, there's like the closet could be where the bathroom and stuff is maybe. Like, I don't know. It's I think not, it's a little, it's a little, little bit, a little tiny bit longer, but probably about the same width. Yeah. But I mean, that's a, it's a business nonetheless. You could write, uh, a, a, I'd say write a blog, but probably maybe videos would be more effective at this point on your process and what you've gone through. Yeah. Um, or you could do what I did and pay my tax guy to do it all for me and then I just get the shit and don't have to worry about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, my business is a bit different. I don't have a brick and mortar, so I didn't have to go through like a fire inspection and all that shit. Yeah. The only thing was he was like, make sure your fire extinguisher's on a surface and not on the floor. You're good. Yeah. And also Take make it sure- in next year to get checked. Make sure that they are not expired. Yeah, that's why I said take it in next year. Because when fire marshals, they will come by and do extinguisher checks all, you know, randomly. Mm -hmm. The actual marshal inspections, they they usually schedule with you, but um, they'll just come by and do extinguisher checks. Gotcha. Sweet. Uh, so yeah, make sure they're always up to date. And yeah. That way, if you have a fire, you can. He put checked it out. out. Pressure's still at max and all that. It's all that so. matters. It's all that matters. Uh, pie and beer day. Um, Pioneer Day, the birthday of Utah. I think that was the saddest fireworks show we've ever had. <laughs> we had one decent firework, and it wasn't, and it, it well, would have been like a middle of the show firework for our actual the, ones. The twenty fourth is it's kind of all the leftover, picked over uh, fireworks from the fourth that they sell. So yeah, yeah they don't re- well, they and, don't restock generally speaking. No, yeah. And Brighton wasn't there. Usually he goes, he spends like $500 on the biggest fireworks he can find and he like arranges a whole show and stuff. So it was, it was a little different. It was just kind of, uh, Jonathan and Tucker and Tucker playing with sparklers and singing Star Wars music. It's fun. Doing lightsabers. <laughs> Let me tell you, I hate fireworks. So I wouldn't be disappointed to not see them. We don't stay for the fireworks of the RSL game, which we lost, by the way, on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and that's what Brent following that loss, there were plenty of fucking posts from random people. The only thing I hate about it's nice because I want new fans to the soccer games, but there are so many people that come to those games and 
don't know what to expect and they only come really to watch the fireworks. And then when the team loses, it's really fucking disappointing because all those new fans, I mean, hopefully they had a good experience, but if the team wins, they have a much better experience typically. Right. Uh, and the team lost is our first loss this year, uh, on our, on our home field. And there's now only one team that hasn't lost at home, uh, in the league. Um, so it was really disappointing loss. Um, and it was more disappointing when I got onto Twitter afterwards and I saw these fucking people post like, Oh, it really sucks that we lost the game, but it was a fantastic night. Thanks for the fireworks. And it's just pictures of the fireworks. I'm like, motherfuckers. <laughs> like, I don't even give a shit about the fireworks. I just want the team to you do well. You could have just driven around the neighborhood if you wanted fireworks this weekend. Yeah. I mean, there were plenty to see. I fucking hate fireworks though. When I hear them going off, it just. Part of it's because of all the time that I spent working in the fireworks space. Yep. Um, I just fucking hate fireworks now. July 4th is not a fun holiday for me. But I did make uh, roughly 20 pounds of lasagna, I think, give Can or I take. Have some? Uh, yeah, this weekend uh, coming up here. Not this weekend, but next weekend. I'm not going to be in Berlin. Well, then no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I have a store to Sorry. run. Sorry. There, it's uh, frozen solid in my freezer right now is my guess. That's oh. the way to do it. Um, I made fresh pasta, the sausage I made a couple weeks ago, yeah. uh, all homemade sauce. The only thing I didn't do is pull my own mozzarella. So he made it, made it. Yeah, it's all from scratch, baby. Decided to try it. Um, and I made a bunch. And so, and I knew that that Sunday was actual pie and beer day. I told Bree, I said, we're having pie and beer on pie and beer day. So we bought some Harmon's pie. So, that, you know, they, they actually ratcheted it up for pie and beer day because they're smart. Put they, beer and pie together. Well, no. So, so Harmon's makes good pies and normally they, every once in a while they'll do half pies, right? They'll usually they have like a special case. They cut the pie in half and they sell half a pie because one pie for Bree and I is too much. Like right. we'll never get through the whole thing. Um, and so they also occasionally do, and I think they usually do this with older pies that they're trying to sell. Uh, they'll cut slices and they've got individual slices. Oh. They had a whole fuck ton of pie slices this weekend. Smart. So we got, um, I got a pecan pie and we got a piece of peach pie and a piece of, uh, uh cherry pie. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Cause then you just get it instead of a whole a pie and then you end up not liking a it. A charcuterie of pies. So we had a, so we had a couple different pies. I love pecan pie. It's so good. Um, and so we had pie. I had a beer, one beer. I just don't drink that much at home. <laughs> uh, but I had a beer. You have so much alcohol though. I know because I drink good stuff. And I also want to be able to provide No, I'm just people. saying you have a huge collection for someone who just doesn't drink it at home. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I entertain. So, for instance, I hate gin. I've got really good gin upstairs, unopened. You know why? Because if someone comes over and they want like a gin and tonic or they want some sort of fucking drink with gin, I want to have good gin for them to drink. Uh, and I don't like gin, but I have it. I'm yeah. not. If it's not open, it's not like it goes bad. I mean, it'll last. Even if it's open, Doesn't hard. Doesn't it just get better the older it gets? It depends. No. Some things do, but not everything. Not, wine, never, not everything's wine. Wine and champagne can age really well. Um, if it's the right type. Not all champagne, by the way, needs to yeah. be aged. Um, and really wine and champagne, depending on what they are, they're they're good to age, and some of them they're better just to drink when you Most get Most whiskeys and bourbons, once they come out of the keg, or not the keg. They don't the bag, age. That's it. I mean, they're it's done. not going to improve. or It's it's just liquid in a hermetically sealed bottle. It's not like cheese point. anymore. But, they, but hard liquor, like whiskeys, scotch, vodka, rum, they don't go bad. Even most of your flavorings don't actually tend to go bad. You can have them on your shelf for years, and they're probably fine. So you can't get the... Cherries anymore at the liquor store? They stopped selling the 
the infused cherries. So oh, the moonshine cherries. So I started making my own. They're actually pretty good. So yeah, I, they're probably a lot better than those shitty fucking yeah. moonshine. So what cherries. I did is I got the 360 cherry vodka. Oh yeah. And then the maraschinos, and I take out about half the maraschino juice. Okay, you want to know what you should do next what? instead of that? Infuse them with a syringe. No, get 99 cherries. Oh. Get like ninety nine cherries and do that with the cherries, and I bet because that's a that'll be a stronger and more neutral alcohol base in a sense. Because that fucking cherry vodka's still got that gross vodka taste, so that I bet would be better. I'll try that. I'm still I'm still trying it, and even that though is a whole lot better because it's not that that fucking moonshine moonshine. stuff is gross. I mean, you could try it with Everclear, but I think that would be close to doing that moonshine stuff, and it's not good. So it's my my first batch actually turned out pretty decent. It's so we. Had ice cream on uh, the 24th for our little barbecue, and some of the members of my group put them on the ice cream. And it was. Did you uh, have you done have you done like a spiked watermelon or anything before? Yes, that's really great. Those Pretty are good. sure Jen, Jen and brought, Derek brought one over. Yes. Yes. Just uh, the barbecue we had last summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's came. right for my birthday. Your birthday. Yeah, yeah. It was my birthday they, barbecue. They brought those. So yeah, yeah that stuff's it's good if you do it right. Uh, yeah, for, and theirs was really good because they did it with like a. Like an, a lemon infused something or like yeah. lemon and mint infused. Yeah, it, was it was like really just right. Yeah, that was really good. good. So yeah, so I'm experimenting on infusing. You gotta bring gonna bring some up next weekend. I can bring, yeah, yeah, you should. That'll be fun. I'm Let everybody try it, and I'm yeah, still working on it. But you can't get them anymore for whatever reason. The ABCs. I should get a because they're fucking gross. They probably honestly they probably didn't sell. Maybe that's. I mean, my guess is stuff like that. If it doesn't sell, the DABC stops carrying it because it's just a. They need the shelf space. So I want to. I want to try some other things. So. Lexi, the bourbon one we did about a month and a half ago, she had these infused, were they strawberries? What were they? Do you remember? Blueberries? Blueberries. Oh, I bet those, those are They good. were like rum blueberries. Oh, they yeah. were so good. I bet those are good. Those are really good. That reminds me. I, I need to get a bottle of scotch before we go yeah, on. Yeah, they were like froze. They were like uh, she did rolled a sim- in it and then like frozen she, with it. She and did and a then- simple syrup. I don't know what they were, but so they were a little on the sweet side, but they we actually are going to stop in Wyoming on our way up to pick up the booze, so we'll get cheaper rates. We could rates. like to stop at the grocery store that has the big walk-in, or not the grocery store, the so liquor store that has the big walk-in. It's Smith's, it's Smith's liquor store. Also, there, the next Mixology and Moon Magic class is August 12th, so get your tickets. Oh, and I will say, too, um, the uh, Oleo is starting up a whole bunch of classes now. Like yeah. they, have a, they have a beer soap class this weekend. Um, I was talking to Derek because we were out there last last week, I think. Uh, and I was talking to Derek that he said, so Jed does, I saw your stool. So I, mean, by the no, I still yeah. haven't seen it because I was in Texas. Yeah, that place oh, is I forgot hopping. to stop and look when I went in because we had to take the, turns because we had Phoebe. Yeah, if you go back in and take a picture of my. Yeah, I saw your stool. Um, try our- uh, anyway, uh, he was telling me that they, that Jed did, and I had seen the email for it. I just didn't sign up. Jed did a, a bean roasting class for the bean hole. He said that class is awesome. He said anyone that likes coffee should take that class. It's so freaking amazing to fig- to see how they roast and you you go home with your coffee and I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, really cool stuff. Um oh, but so anyway, I made all that lasagna and uh we made homemade pizzas for Pine Beer Day ah, as well. Nice. So Especially since I don't drink beer. And we hung our string lights. We did. Oh, you got those hung up? Yeah, well at yeah. after the show I'll have to show Let's you. Maybe did you end up using those ones I gave you? Uh, no. no, we bought, so I, not that it matters. I was able to find, um, a case that had three 18 foot string lights, which turned out to be almost exactly perfect That's for what perfect. we needed. Okay. Yeah. Cause when we upgraded to all of the solar, cause for my yard, it just didn't make sense yeah. to drag the stupid extension cord. So hmm. mine are all solar, but 
I gave that set to you just in case you needed it, but that was a year or two ago. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, we've got ours. They're almost all hung. We have one string that I don't want to hang it until I fix some of the We need We need boards. a couple uh, extra bracing boards to, so that we can hang them gotcha. the right direction. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, it looks really good. Nate was super excited to see it. He's like, I told you I'd help you. And I was like, yeah, but it was cool Sunday morning. And so we went out and did it. So I've got a little extra switch stuck to the wall right now. He said he'd um, bring over the fan switch when it comes, but it's backordered. So. Uh, also, Pie and Beer Day, we got another fire. <laughs> Thanks to more fireworks. So at the <laughs> so at the Geneva Rock Shooting Range, they in air quotes Rock Shooting Range. It's the one on the just on the back side of. Uh, the lake. It's the one on the backside of Utah Lake that you're not supposed to shoot at anymore because there's yeah. too many fucking. And houses. it's not. It's people. People call it a range. It's not really a range. It's just. It's a bunch of garbage on the side of the fucking but, road. Yeah. Fire started there and. Last from I, fireworks, right? Last I checked, they didn't have a lead on what it was, but they're looking oh. for anybody that has any so information. It's very likely it was actually caused by fucking idiots shooting guns at stuff. So if you've ever been to that shooting range, it's this area out on the west side of Utah Lake. And the reason why they're not supposed to use it anymore is fucking Eagle Mountain and Saratoga Springs are like right there yeah. now. Um, so but 20 years ago, it was in the It was empty. Nowhere. There was nothing there. And they're it's, like off the side of the road. It's like an old gravel. Uh, like a hundred yards back. There's a whole bunch of junk, like fucking old. The fuck's going <laughs> wow. on there? There's, there's like a, there's like a, uh, uh, like an old car or like washers and dryer. Like people just go dump shit out there and shoot it. Problem with that metal stuff is when you shoot it, bullets ricochet, sparks fly. Oh, that's the same thing that happens with BBs. And if you've seen anything like my front yard. Yeah. It's a fucking tinderbox and so, a spark will light it up. So it's like an old gravel pit or something, mm-hmm. something. That's the old Geneva rock pit. So, so you had a 40 foot tall wall of nothingness that you could shoot at, but it is not a range. It was never a range. That's just people, what people call it. It is not controlled. It is not, it is, there's they actually no, don't want you shooting out there. Anymore. But yeah, fire started out there and yeah, so they're looking for leads. If anybody knows anything, but the, uh, the, Division of Wildlife Management or any of those resources know because they're looking for who started that one. Uh, yeah, they didn't. Th- those people didn't go to the diner and fucking say, oh, I wonder if that was from us. Oh, that might have been us that started uh, that fire. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, I was kind of doing our fire check for the week. Most of the big ones that we talked about last week are now under control or completely out. We really only had uh, the Halfway Hill fire. Which is one we talked about last week with our guests because it is out in Millard County. And it's, it is up to 11,700 acres, but as of earlier today, it's about 75% contained. Which is fantastic. It was actually, uh, endangering petroglyphs. I feel like, uh, some of those, uh, nice summer storms we had probably helped out a little bit. Could've. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good that it's that contained because that was a, that's a yeah. dangerous fire. That was Not a just, scary one. Well, it's still scary. Like, once the this is and we we actually talked to the guest about this on air. What's scary is, is it once the fire's out or even while it's still burning, once there's no vegetation on the side of the hill, a rainstorm Mudslide. like we get during monsoon season will send earth coming down. There's nothing to hold the rain back. And well, so, did you see St. George in Vegas the last couple of days? They've been getting those monsoon rains, and there's video from yesterday of like streets in Vegas. Because the ground is so dry, it can't absorb it fast but enough. But that's that's normal. That's how Vegas always is. But they, if, yeah, because they have those... Those huge viaducts. So yes. if you've ever been to Vegas, they're kind of tucked away. You won't see them right from the strip. 
but they have gigantic storm drains, like huge fucking like storm drains. Like people live in them, storm drains. And that's a problem that people live in. Because every year they get Because it's like the away. slot canyons. Well, because, yeah, when it starts raining, because the ground doesn't absorb anything, and there's so much concrete, too, those things are full. They're, they're completely flooding. Well, you may not be getting rain right there in Vegas. It might be 20 miles off in the distance, but it's still yeah, coming it still through, comes that, through Vegas. Yeah. Drainage. So people are like, oh, it's just sprinkling so here. People, next thing you yeah, know. And people, if there are homeless people sleeping in there, they've had a lot of people die as a result. So. Yeah. So, so going back to what you're saying, we are in monsoon season uh, down in southern Utah, St. George, uh, Fillmore. E- even up here, I mean... People forget the whole area is a desert, and the problem is we're so far north that we get the tail end of the monsoons usually, but we do get the monsoons. And so the rainstorms that we've been having in, in late July and in August, those are all monsoonal rains. Yep, which which adds to the heat and the mugginess and the hot. And the problem we have up here is it only rains for like five minutes, and then that's it. So not enough to put out fires up here in the northern part of the but state. But it does cool off the temperatures, which is why I was thinking maybe that helped a little bit with some of the yeah. fires. A little bit of water and just that the temperature isn't 100 degrees is helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Fillmore is going to get a lot more of that moisture than we yeah. will. So 75% contained. That's, that's that's fantastic. That's really good. That's good news. And the big Twilla one's out. They've got that one. They got that one out. That Not in Utah, but that Yosemite fire has destroyed a bunch of structures. Now I think it's at like last count was like 45, 46 structures. Yosemite? Uh, it's going to kill the sequoias, man. They're trying. I know they're trying to save because they've got the, the big one that's the famous one where they've got pictures. I've driven through that. Of the, from like the 20s and 30s of the cars going through it and the bus and all that. Because you, you can't anymore, but it it was still open when my grandparents took me to Disneyland and we actually went over drove to the forest it. and we got, I got to I know my, my grandparents have pictures from back in the 50s when my dad was little where they're all sitting like on the hood of the car, like at the tree. So it's, it's the famous tree and yeah, the fires are getting close there. It's uh it's funny. I, there was a, there was an article because there they had a couple a fire a couple years ago out there. Uh, and some of those sequoias that did actually end up catching on fire, they're still smoldering two years later. They're still smoldering because they're so big inside. Uh, well, and, the it's not the sequoias it's the evergreens that explode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the sap in it oh. the sap in it gets to boiling and then it explodes that's so. when you see Danger. when when a when lightning strikes a just a regular tree like it will start it on fire but if it strikes a never a, a pine tree a pine tree they explode. they explode because it superheats the sap which which is horrible in a fire situation because that's one of the ways the fire it jumps. Sends, it sends little sparks of fire everywhere. So anyway, um, please be careful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when, don't be lighting off fireworks now, though. It's illegal. Don't fucking do nope, it. Be done. If you do it in my neighborhood, I'll call the cops. Be done. Yesterday, when I was cleaning, the kids were letting off firecrackers. Yeah, it's different. I know. I was just they can blow off their fucking hands. I don't care. But it was not. Phoebe was not happy about it. She was. She kept running to find me every time she'd hear. Oh. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, what's this? So I, so I, I wanted to point this out. So the, the big alien ship at the aquarium. It's called the Claw. The Claw, the Claw has chosen, that we've talked about. The U2 Claw. They're actually doing stuff with it now. So. Yeah, they've been doing yeah. stuff with it. Nights Under the Lights. They've got one, uh, July 30th, so in a couple of days from when this is being recorded. And it's where they're doing, um, 
it's like music throughout history. So they're actually doing a music show and lights. They have a so, market in there too for <laughs> Halloween. They did like a pirate theme so thing every night. There was a, they did an interview on one of the local news stations a couple weeks ago where they talked about, cause they did a, like a piece on the claw and what it is and why they bought it. Um, and they talked in depth about why they bought it, what their intent is with the space. And we talked about it. If you go back a few months, you'll, uh, and listen to our Loveland, uh, living. It was Planet one of Aquarium. our first ones we did. Um, we talked about it as well because, um, it's going to be, they're going to build some more stuff around it, but it's the focal point of a big learning center that they're yeah. putting in place over there. So, uh, really cool stuff. So just pointing out, and the reason why I brought it up is because we, we did talk about it in our episode. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're local, go check it out. You can see what that whole clause is all about. And I think it's a good time to, uh, mosey on over to the, uh, Utah Adventure Week. Um, this week, uh, we had a couple of things that we thought about doing. And we did one of them, and um, uh, we decided that we did enough of that one to constitute a show. So we went up to – now, I hadn't been since um, probably the late 90s, so I would just barely had moved to Utah. So in like 99, 2000 was the last time I was there. So good 20 years ago. Um, but we went up to the Hill, uh, uh, Hill Air Force Base Aerospace Museum. Uh, I think it's just called the Hill Aerospace Museum. Yeah, it's the – Technical and name. it's technically it's outside the gates right now. It's outside the gates. It's right at the gates, basically, but it is outside. I don't. Th- I think it used to be in the gates. It did um, way back when, and I think they've moved stuff around. Yeah. Uh, because I remember when I went to it, I had to go through, you know, Air Force security, security and stuff. Base it's, security. It's just grown enough over yeah. the years, and it is. It is now. It's two gigantic old hangars, essentially, is mm-hmm. what they are, uh, full of stuff. And, um, when you go there, your, your GPS will take you right to it. Um, if you don't make the left hand turn, but if you're <laughs> listening to a really good song on your radio or your, your Spotify or whatever, or following and someone aimlessly and you're futzing around with it, you'll miss the um, second turn. If you miss <laughs> it, you're going to run right into Northrop Grumman's facility, which is a gigantic, and then they'll, then they'll be like, what the hell are you doing here? Uh, and then you'll just turn around and go back into the, uh, to the museum. I know there's plenty of people turning around there though. So yeah, it's caught. It's so clearly mine literally like would have taken me there had I been paying attention, but I was not it's clearly a very common mistake that people make missing that turn because it is right as you turn off the freeway like right as you yeah turn it's like off, immediately like. you hit you, right so you, you you can either go straight and hit the gate to go into the base where you turn left and when you turn left it's northrop grumman or an immediate left to get into the museum and so i think a lot of people end up having that same issue uh, but anyway, um, you're, I, I expect you're going to tell us a bunch of history. I've got history. Because that is what you do. So uh, it, it was cool. I do want to note that they have some really good history in the museum about Hill that you can look at, that you can walk through, like some amazing stuff on the history. Yeah, and let me tell you, that's what the museum is all about is the history of flight. Like that's its primary theme. Right. Uh, as you go through it, and there are tons of exhibits. So where we talked about the Leonardo and, like, not going there because it's a waste of fucking time and it takes, like, five minutes and it's not worth the money. First off... This the, was free. It's free. The Hill Aerospace Museum. But it was free. worth the money. I would have uh-huh. I would have paid the D- oh, yeah. Leonardo money to see well, that. it's 100% free. They do work off of donations, and so you'll see big donation bins. So please donate to them when you go. 
visit, but it is actually 100% free if you'd like. And uh, they do have a, a gift shop and stuff that has some pretty mm-hmm. cool stuff. And that helps pay for some of the stuff too. And they have other donors and crap like that, but I'll let Jeremy talk a little bit about yeah. the history of the museum itself. We'll just do a, I'll just do kind of a brief history and then we'll get into what we actually looked at. But so Hill Air Force Base was originally conceived uh, back in 1934 uh, from the ill-fated Army airmail experiment is what they called it. So the idea was this was this was, you know, past the Pony Express, but not to FedEx. Uh so they they set up airmail basically. And so Ogden, the Ogden area was chosen as one of the first sites in the Western United States uh for airmail. Uh that did not go well. However, uh because the area was set up in Ogden, they decided in uh, 1939, Congress approved an $8 million, which you should look up, 1939. I will do that. What was $8 million? But uh, they decided to establish the Ogden Air Depot, is what they called it, up front. Even though in the airmail was... Ni- ni- 1939? 1939. So even though the airmail itself wasn't overly successful, uh, having an airfield in Ogden was... It is uh, worth $159 million right, today. So, wow. Not a bad little starter for oh, for an airstrip and a couple of buildings. Um, so in December of that year, the War Department declared it Hill-filled, named after Major Ployer Peter Hill, um, chief of the Flying Air Branch. They have like a whole wall dedicated to him where you can see the timeline of like what well, he did. And you have to remember back in these days, the Air Force didn't exist. Right. This it was no. all the Army. Yep. True. The Air Force, the Air Force was, was born later as a division of the Army. It was all Army. That's the all Army. there was. Yeah. So interesting. In fact, that's where my grandpa was stationed and he was in the Army. Was it Hill? So interestingly enough, uh, this major Hill who passed away, he actually died flying the prototype the prototype for the B-17 Flying Fortress was kind of his claim to fame. Uh, Anyway, so uh, January 12th, 1940, they do the groundbreaking. Um, In November 7th, 1940, they begin field operations. So seven, eight, nine, nine months in, they actually begin operations. Also, I just want to correct you, Julia. It wasn't all from the Army. The Navy was always a separate branch. That's true. Yeah. Just just want to throw that out there. The Navy... Chris was going to go into the Navy. The Navy and the Army were two different branches of the Navy. In fact, we probably had a Navy before we had an Army. Yeah, because we had the the Continental... So the Continental Navy before... The I think the Second Continental Congress created the Continental Navy and then that kind of shit happened, but the Naval Act was passed, and I think it was called the Naval Act in, like, 1794, which officially recognized it as the U.S. Navy. But anyway, I just not yeah. everything came from the Army. So we had a so. Navy first, and Marines came second, because the Marines sailed with the Navy. The, the Marines are part, they're still part yeah. of the Navy. It's so it, part of the Naval branch. Army actually came after all that. Anyway, yeah. okay, so uh, keep in mind, uh, November 7th, 1940, what's going on globally most of the world is already involved mm-hmm. in uh, World War II. We're not quite yet, but obviously we're we're getting That's coming. up for That's it. Coming uh, because, well, and to be fair, we were involved, just not officially. Right. So 
in the early days of that war, we were still doing a bunch of merchant goods and we had merchant, merchant marines essentially, um, doing a lot of like shipping blockades and shipping of, of goods over to Europe to try and help their war efforts. Yeah. Officially, we were not in the war yet. Though. Right. So, so during this early, uh, early 1940s, Four Hill Air Force Base, we were taking care of the A-26, B-17, B-24, B-29, P-40, P-47, Bingo. and P-61. <laughs> and those, those Ps, those, those P aircrafts were our main fighter aircrafts. And so what's happening is, uh, we're doing repairs primarily. So the whole, the whole plane isn't necessarily coming to Hill, but the engines, Spare parts, all of that were coming, and so we were rebuilding engines to go back out uh, to be put on the planes. Yeah, my grandpa was a mechanic. He was an army mechanic. Yeah, so up front, uh, that's mostly what, what Hill did was, was a, a mechanic division. Um, in 1943, they had over 22,000 military and civilian personnel working on the base. Wow. In 1943, uh, 1944, they they now become part of the surplus aircraft support. So P PT 17s, B 24, P 40, P 47, and B 29s um, are actually now stored at the facility. So not just repairs; they actually start getting aircraft that they are now maintaining. Um, by the end of 1947, there's more than 200 million dollars worth of aircraft. Not bad for an eight million dollars startup right. airfield. <laughs> yeah, not at all. No, no, not too bad. So, uh, September 26th, 1947, the Army Air Corps becomes the United States Air Force. So, my mom was born before the Air Force was created. So, was Your my mom's dad. old. <laughs> so, was my dad. So, up until that point, yes, it was the Army Air Corps. So, it was part of the Army or associated with the Army. So, uh, yep. September 26, 1947, it officially becomes uh, the United States Air that Force. Actually, the year that my mom was born, Julia. So just, just by a couple months. Just and by at a which, tiny bit. At which time all of the fields became known as bases. So Hill Field at that point was officially renamed Hill Air Force Base. Except we still called it Hill Field. Hill Field. Hill Field for a yeah, long time. Hill so uh, during uh, the Korean War... Hill Force, Hill Air Force Base, uh, took on the major, the majority of the Air Material Command. So materials coming in and out of, of, uh, Korea went through Hill, uh, during Vietnam. We had a huge part to do with Vietnam, uh, support. And that's when we started supporting the fighter jets, the F-84 Thunderbird, the F-86, so on and so forth. So it's Vietnam is when we got really involved with the fighter jets well and we were looking at the the wall of utahns that were based kind of a hill and stuff and there's a little base that was in kearns which is where we record and where i used to live in a in base housing where my grandfather was actually living and there were a ton of people from this area like the kearns area that actually were killed in the Vietnam War. Well, in Vietnam is where we introduced air tankers, right? Yep. And and that has been something that Hill has done for a long time yep. too, right? The KC wing. Yep. So 1971, uh, we get the F-15 Eagle. The workhorse of the military for a long time. Yep. And then also the UH-1H Iroquois helicopter. 
So both of those are stationed and coming out of Hill. Um, then the, the, the following year, the first version of the short-range attack missile was delivered from Boeing Air Force Plant in 1977, in 1977 to Hill Air Force Base. So we start getting the the missiles. Snark. Right. Which there are, this is important because yeah. there are some missiles on display both inside and outside of the museum. That was my favorite part was seeing all the missiles that had like the windows in them so you could see all the parts inside. Yeah, yeah those were cluster bombs. Those were cool. Um, that we'll, was my favorite exhibit. We'll, we'll get we'll get to those. I'll, I'll make mention of those. So in 1980, Hill Air Force Base became one of the busiest single runways of any air, airfield in the free world. In 1980, 145,000 takeoffs and landings coming in and out of Hill. Yeah, and you guys have to understand, this is we've talked about this through other bits and pieces, like we did our show on Dugway, for example. There is a live fire training ground for the Air Force out there that has been there for years. They drop live ammunitions in the middle of the Utah desert yep. from Hill Air Force Base. They run tons and tons of training missions here. And it's funny because they'll, they'll, they'll send out, not warnings, but they'll send out media announcements saying Hill is practicing today. So when yep. you, so when you hear booms, leave us yeah. alone. <laughs> that's You're going to hear booms. You're going to see a lot of planes like. That just happens. Stop calling the police, people. So late 80s, early 90s, we get the C-130 Hercules aircraft. Which is the Swiss Army knife of it, the, uh, the Air Force. Sure of the is. military, really. Yeah. Um, and one thing I will say in the 80s and 90s, I don't know if you have the base closure stuff in your history. A little bit. A little bit. But yeah. go ahead. So, so this is a time in American history. So... Rise as you leave the Reagan and Bush eras, and you get into. I think the Clinton administration is where most of it happened. Yeah, because um, it was the end of Desert Storm ninety one. Yeah, the end of Desert that. Storm. Yeah, so I, like post ninety one, we're not in any conflicts. Um, we're enjoying a budget surplus. We have a balanced budget for the first time in generations, probably. Like in a long time, we have a balanced budget as a government. And one of the things that starts happening is. Congress starts shutting down military bases. You have to understand, military bases, most of them around the country, there were a lot at that point in time, they employ huge chunks of the population. Like, if you go up into the Ogden, Roy, Layton area, I would venture to say over half the people there are employed either directly or indirectly because of Hill Air Force Base's existence. So when I talked about, like, that Northrop Grumman building... yeah. That's all because of the Air Force Base. That is a defense contractor for the Air Force. There are probably thousands of people that work in that building. They're there because Hill exists. So when all those base closures happened, this is one of the things I set up for a long time about Warren Hatch. He has done is whether you like him from a social standpoint or not and all of his policies, he was very much a Utah guy for a lot of yep. his career. And the thing that really kind of made his career in the Senate for Utah was saving that base. And, and he was directly responsible for saving Hill Air Force Base. Yep. And he he was stationed at Hill for a number of years, so he, he definitely had an interest. Well, and he understood the value of that base. It was on the chopping block. It, it was, was going to go. Clinton and the Clinton administration it, it was on the chopping block to go and he w he managed to cut a deal to save it and it's still in operation today and not only in operation but we have f-35s now right so 
So during that 1990, he negotiated to get the 388th Fighter Wing at Hill, mm-hmm. also the 4th and 421st Fighter Squadron. Yeah, so he brought a bunch of stuff to Hill, which kept them from closing it. And then the big one that I remember late night, late later nineties, was the refueling wing. Yep, when we brought in the KC, the 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 whole refueling yep. tankers, and that's a big one. That's still part of Hill. Hill's still a very big refueling wing, and they're fucking big. Those planes are so big. They're big. We'll get in. We'll get into the planes here in just a minute. So uh, these are current statistics. Um, Hill Air Force Base now ranks as Utah's largest employer, $960 million payroll annually. That's for the base. That's for the base. That is not for all of the ancillary groups that are tied to the base. Like that Northrop Grumman building, that Northrop Grumman building that's right next to it, not part of those numbers. Nope. And then it's, uh, the value of the base as of the end of last year is $4.5 billion. Not too bad well, for eighteen eight million dollars. Eight million dollar investment <laughs> in nineteen thirty. Well, and even if you even if you take it to today's dollars, right? Well, what did I say that was like? Uh, like, what did I say that was one hundred fifty nine million? Yeah, one hundred sixty million dollars. Even at that rate, that's a good investment. Yeah. So Utah's largest employer, hands down. Yeah, it's not even close. Nine hundred sixty million dollar annual payroll, and the inventory, buildings, etc. Are worth exceeds four point five billion. So, needless to say, and this was a very condensed version, but Hill has been a big part of Utah, especially of the Northern Wasatch Front, like a huge part of the North. And, if, and it, one of the things that having something like Hill out here did, and this is where we talk a little bit about ancillary stuff. All the rocket facilities we have out yeah. here, they exist because of Hill. So, if you don't know about it. Go to the west side of Salt Lake Valley, out by where we live, uh, and you will there. So it used to be nothing out there, right? Like, but if you go down Bacchus Highway, which is I think one eleven, or you go down, I think you can see some of them from Mountain View Corridor. Maybe, um, but like basically from about like sixty second to uh, like thirty fifth ish, there are multiple facilities like Hexel. And I don't know all the names of them. They're rocket facilities. Yeah. They build. Isn't doesn't L three have like a rocket division too, or I some a space no, or fighter? Not here. And they used to they used to test those rockets. They still do. And it it they they test them all the time. So they 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 were used in uh they're used in uh NASA rockets like for satellite placement and stuff like that. Commercial satellite placement. Uh, I think they helped develop rockets that sent people to the moon and sent people into into space. Um, apparently, the dog has a uh, squeaky toy. toy right now, but we can't hear it. Just uh, you guys can't hear it. We can hear it. Hopefully, Bree's tangled up. <laughs> I like looking at all the satellites but, too. Those are cool. Boeing's got a big facility. Boeing's got a huge facility. Like I said, Northrop Grumman does. I think Raytheon's got some really big, uh, some big arms here. Uh, and those rocket facilities, they still do test rockets. By the way, they're also used as rockets for some of the ballistic missiles and stuff. And um, it's when they do a rocket test, it's really cool if you catch it when it's happening because you can see all the the smoke from the rocket. Uh, you can see it from here, from our house, because they're not very far away. It shakes. When we when we lived, when Heather and I first got married, we lived in our house in West Valley. Uh, it's like, it, yeah, a couple miles away is it. So that when they'd fire those up, it it'd shake the house. It was kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know how you did that, babe. 
<laughs> like, so she's got like a, what are they called? Chums for glasses? I don't know. The That's, librarian thing. Chain yeah, the like chain the that holds the glasses from falling down. And she put them over her it headset. It doesn't hold them from falling down. Well, it keeps them from falling off your head. It, no, like your it neck. keeps them from being lost. But anyway, <laughs> so she, put them on, she put them on over her headset. Not a band for And your somehow head. <laughs> they tangled into her headset cord when she was trying to take it off to take the squeaky toy away from the dog. And now... There's, you can now un- there's a mess. You can undo the clasp on the chain. It might be easier. <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, so yeah, so Hill is directly responsible for tons of the economy in Utah. Still today, there's a ton of stuff that feeds that base and feeds military contracts because that base is here. We have a lot of those buildings here. And so the high end tech stuff is here. And so that also plays into why we have like the national guard, uh, over at airport number two that has uh, an Apache wing. Yeah. That stuff happens because of the proximity to Hill Air Force Base. Um, so it's important. And Hill Air Force Base, how old is the museum? When did the museum go into place? Uh, originally, I think in the 90s, but like you said, it moved. I feel like it was more recent than that. Nah, well, since it, since they, they, I, they redid it oh. to where you see it, but I want to say the original museum opened in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, let's find out. Uh, 1986. I thought you would have done that as part of your history. Uh-huh. Um, five miles south of Ogden, it opened in 1986 originally. It was founded in 1981 as part of the United States Air Force Heritage <laughs> Program. So it must have been teeny tiny at that point. Yeah, so, and you can, you can go, baby. you can go see that on their wiki. They actually have a really good website, by the way. But now, can we get into... Yep, let's get into the actual... So before you even step foot inside the museum, there are a ton of aircraft, the big boys, all on the outside. Um, And they change from time to time what they have out there. Um, A lot of the times... A lot of the stuff's fairly stagnant, um, but these are... You know, million, multi-million dollar aircraft. Sometimes they change. So as you enter the gates, uh, you will first notice the biggest plane out there, which is the KC-135, which is in, currently in service. It's a, uh, it's a tanker. It's a refueling tanker. It is so big. <laughs> it is massive. The wingspan is unbelievable. I was blown away, um, how, how big that was. And actually right next to it is probably the second biggest plane. Which is the, uh, the B-52. Yep. The, the current, uh. The B-52s were there? <laughs> Jesus. I'm comic the, relief today. The, oh man. Okay. So she had this the. This is what it's like being on the podcast with you. Let with me, you two let me tell you. She had the best dad joke earlier. I could not stop laughing. And I don't it was think so, it was that good, but it, it really made him so laugh. It was so stupid. I don't know, but it was, it was funny to me. So I'm cutting up some cantaloupe. Because I got a cantaloupe and I love cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. And, and I'm like telling her, I'm like yelling up to her that I love her because it's like lunchtime as I'm cutting this up and I'm sing, I, I sing songs, guys. That's one of the things. It's like I made do. up songs, not like, like real music. I'm cutting up the cantaloupe because I like cantaloupe. Like shit like that when I'm doing stuff. Or like, I don't actually know what he was saying. I have the, the best wife there is, blah, blah, blah. I'll just sing shit like that randomly. <laughs> he said something about, I'm glad I married you or something. And, and I was like, like, well, we can't elope. And I'm like, <laughs> I that was said, random. I, no, I didn't. I said you can't elope. So I just, I just like shook my head initially, and then it hit me, and I was just started laughing. And I'm like, that is the dumbest fucking dad joke. He I've goes, did ever you just heard. dad joke me? I was like, yep. 
And I'm like, I don't know why it's so funny to me. <laughs> Even thinking about it now, it's hilarious. Jeremy's oh, laughing. You it must have been, been a good one. You would have been proud, Jeremy. That's awesome. It was great. Um, That's awesome. But next to those aircraft, so in front of one of them, there is a uh, Snark missile, which is one of the early um, uh, ground air missiles, ballistic missile type things. There are also there's also a Minuteman. Yep. Uh, missile and then um, and uh, I don't know if you were going to mention it later, but it looks like they're putting together a display of the Minuteman that wasn't set up yet when we were going through. Yeah, and that's what that's one of the things we'll probably talk about. They they are setting up a few different displays inside yep. still, and they constantly, like I said, they constantly are changing their exhibits. Um, so it's it's there's always stuff to see. Um, and then there's another uh, ballistic missile launcher with a, a missile on it, so you can see what the ground launchers look like for some of these missiles. Um, so the B-52 is uh, the current, the current bomber that we use mostly for long range bombing, right? The flying suit, the current super fortress. Yep. Um, so they have currently used aircraft sitting there between the, the tanker, the, like the B-52 strata fortress. Um, they're, that thing's so big, the, there's fucking wheels on the end. Yeah. There's landing gear on the very end of the, the wings, wings because of how wobbly yeah. they are. And, and they some have of those them. planes, like, you know they're big, but actually being able to walk around them. Yeah, well, like, we have a picture of Brie next to, I think, the wheel of... One of the tires. Of, uh, was it of the 124, the big one right by the front door? I don't I think remember the yeah. numbers of them, but yes. it was the one by the door, so yeah. It was one of the, so one of the cargo planes, the C-124. Um, they do have a C-130 outside. Uh, they also have... Uh, a B-29 um, next to the C-130. They also have, and they don't have a plaque up for it yet, and so I'm wondering how long it's going to be there. Um, I'm thinking this is a new one that they're putting in. So they have a sister of the Enola Gay in yeah. there, right? Yep. So the Enola Gay was a 17. Uh, let's see. I can't remember what the Enola Gay was. It was a B-29. That's what it is. So they have another uh, B-29 that they are um, setting up there. The crazy thing about about it is you look at it and you think, oh, that's from the 80s. Out of just the look of it, you're like, oh, that's got to be from the 80s. That's no, World War World II. War II. Until the, for those of you that don't know, that is the type of bomber that bombed the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, and effectively ended World War II. Yeah, it, it, it is pretty cool to be able to walk around one of those and and see it it is pretty cool yeah they have a whole bunch of older planes um uh a bunch of older planes from uh korean war um some of the prop planes from um like world war ii in there so outside they also have a b1 uh that's out there uh which is another old uh stealth bomber essentially oh yeah the yeah, B1, yeah the stealth bomber and they did have they had a hercules out there yeah, they have a C-130 out there, which is the Herc. Um, they have the really old, the C-124, which is the one that has just the unbelievably massive tires. They have a really ugly old helicopter out there, the H-21. Yeah, it look, looks like a penis. Yeah, it kind of does. I think it looks kind of like a praying mantis. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. They also have, I think this There is, was a banana plane. What? They literally called it the flying banana. It was like oh, a yeah, helicopter inside. without oh, yeah, yeah. the yeah, without yeah. the propellers, but it, so it just looked like a sock yeah, that's that was sitting there. That's what they we're called ta- it the flying banana. That's what we were talking yeah, about. That's the H twenty one weird helicopter. Um, yeah, they literally on the thing. It was the nickname yeah. was the flying banana. Yeah, but it still looks like a penis. It does look like a penis <laughs> or a very broken dragonfly. They also my favorite that they have out there. So they have the F four an F four out there. 
Um, uh, and they actually have two. They have an F4 and an F4E, I think, as well. Um, and they have like the old chapel, the old base chapel yeah. is out there with a bunch of plaques. There's a bunch of memorials outside for various things. My favorite plane, though, is they have a failed plane. It never really made it to service. It's the YA7F. It is one of the attempts to make the A7 Warthog. Yep. So the A7 Warthog, the brrr, I can't do it. My mouth's still a little dry. The brrr, like if you ever just look up, just look up A7. It's like 600 rounds a second or something. It's fucking insane. It's, it's a just, so it, brrr, it makes that noise because it's, it's an obscene amount of. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it, the A7 Warthog, uh, or it's, it's A10, not A7, it's the A10. Um, um, it was built around its cannon, right? So the A7, uh, which is what this is, this was, uh, an aircraft that was built and never made it into service. It happens a lot, but it was essentially the same idea and it was yeah. the precursor to the Warthog and you can actually see how they designed some of that plane. There was that, there was that other black one that was all black with the red writing on it that they, it was another experimental plane that they only made like four of. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what that one was called, but, but yeah, so they do have a couple of these experimental planes that were tested, but didn't, didn't pass. They have some of the trainer planes that, showed people how to do it. Mm -hmm. Like there was one called the, the school bus or the school room or something. Yeah, the classroom, the one, the flying classroom. Because yeah. oh, yeah. it was uh, it was a trainer that has all the avionics in it um, and like radar and stuff and they basically train personnel by taking them up and there's like, like 12, 12 stations at a time. They could take them up and this was world. Was it World War Two or was it a little was more? It might have been a little more current, like Korea, but, uh, Vietnam. Style. But they had twelve stations, and it had everything. The full so that as you go up in a bomber, because back in those days, I mean, now most of that stuff's controlled by just a couple of people inside. Um, and I mean, those a lot of those military craft do have avionic stations and stuff like that, where they have a guy that's devoted to that. Because unlike commercial flights where they're bouncing from tower, tower to tower, they need a navigator that can identify landmarks, identify GPS positioning, right. and make sure that they're not close to anyone. They have their own active radars. And so this trainer basically gives everyone inside their own station so they can learn that stuff while in the air, which is really genius. Great way to do it. Um, so then you go in. Um, there's a few more that we didn't mention outside, but, uh, there's tons of stuff like you could spend just looking at these planes and reading their plaques. Um, Jeremy wanted to go inside and then spend the hotter part of the day outside. I talked him out of it. <laughs> good <laughs> idea. It was overcast. It's like, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> so we yeah, went we outside out there for two minutes and we were dying. Yeah. I mean, we could have stayed. I think we were outside for probably 45 minutes and probably. we, we were pretty fast walking around. Yeah. If it had been cooler, we probably would have been out there a little um, longer. But then you go inside, you do have to sign in, which basically you just give them your name. They don't, but we didn't give them our name. We gave them yeah. Jeremy's and, and how many <laughs> are in your party. He'll tell you a little bit about how to find stuff. There's a QR code so you can get the map on your phone there's a gift shop there's restrooms and i will give you this piece of advice bring a water bottle don't bring any other food or drink you can't take it in bring a water bottle they seem to be fine with water bottles i wish i would have done that it had said no food or drink so i didn't think we could but there were tons of people that had there were water, water bottle stations yeah, and, and stuff too uh, yeah i definitely bring a water bottle because you're going to be in there a long time my mouth got really dry. There was only one drink. Well, and you're, in a, you're in an air hanger. Yeah, you're in an air hanger. And, and so they do have fans, but it was warm. It's very warm. It's very warm. Um, and so there are two different air hangers, essentially, uh, that you go through. So they have the first one, which is all dedicated to history of flight. 
And they had very fashion-forward makeup-wearing mannequins. <laughs> and it is... Some inc- of them even had little grease spots. They had, spots. like, eyelashes and <laughs> it lipstick. It is inc- and- incredibly full. And there is all sorts of stuff. History of the all Air Force. All the way up to the ceiling. It's cool. There's history of the base. They have... Planes in the air. It started with that first plane from 1913. Uh huh. They have a right, like a like the, a the Burgess uh, right yeah, or Burgess the whatever balsa wood and rice yeah. paper. They have a with a lawnmower engine. They have a whole bunch of historic <laughs> memorabilia in terms of old uniforms as the history of the Air Force comes up through uh, time. They have. Um, the, the World War II flight simulator. Oh, those are cool. Those the, flight sims are awesome. A couple of that them. was yeah. cool. It, it looked like, it, it looked like a kid's toy. It was just this little box with wings on it. But when you looked it didn't in even it, have wings. Well, it had a little stubby. But when you looked in it, it was a full cockpit. But, but to think that they were doing that. Yeah. And the, the flight sims, because they weren't, they, they were just gyroscopic. There were no like working yeah. parts in them because there were, how can you do that? Uh, there's a lot of displays of the the armaments that are inside of the planes, even the old ones in particular, like the the guns that they have. So, because yep. as you go through some of the old fighters and you see, they have eight like fifty caliber cannons on them, and they're just little. You can just see the barrels poking out of the edges of the wings. Well, then they have that gun on display for you, what it actually looks like inside yeah. of the box that it's in and everything else. I have the, the B-52 that's open up that you can walk underneath. You can't get in it, but you can, <coughs> excuse me, walk underneath it, mm-hmm. look up into it. It's amazing. In the movies, they seem so big. Yeah, and the B-52, it's not a B-52, is it? The Flying Fortress? It's not the 52. Um, it's the it's, 17. It's the B-17. Because the 52 is the current one, um, but the 17 is the one. So when you look at old... Um, so Memphis Bell is what everybody thinks of. Yeah, and when you look at like old Vietnam, uh, when you look at... Is it not even Vietnam? This would be like World War II, right? Yeah, World War II. Um, the Flying Fortress. When, when you see like the, the bomber squadrons of like 17, they actually had a really cool display actually on the bomber squadrons and like... How they flew in formation. So you could see it from the top, the side, and the the the, the, the front. Yeah. Uh, and so you could see, like, because they were the formations were actually like really specific. But they had the gunners up front. They had the gunner in the belly. They had the gunner in the tail. They had the gunners on the side. I mean, these things were because back then bombers weren't anything different than another plane. They were just bigger, so they were giant targets that had a huge payload, and they're literally dropping just rocks that have a warhead on them essentially yeah. right well that, that's that why that's called a flying fortress is because yeah. they've got all the guns but in the movies they seem so big and they are big but when you're it's, standing there looking at it, it's like that's not as big and as you're looking you at it like think the guy in the belly doesn't have a parachute yeah and well, he's he is super exposed the belly gunner is basically sitting in a like, bubble of there's glass. no way the guy in the belly could be more than about five one and weigh 90 pounds because that is, is tiny teeny little hamster balls yeah and even the tail gunner like the space that the tail gunner's in is like nothing um well and we were jonathan was with this and he commented on how tiny the uniforms were because they had pilot uniforms and because he's not tiny. Those guys, yeah, they were dead. They're small. And when you see the cockpits of these planes, and even today. Like, I'd fit in there. They are, pilots are. They're beast Like, size. five foot to five foot five. They are not tall. These cockpits well, are very, Well, you're more dynamic small. if you're lighter, right? Uh, that's but like the, really the B-17, why, you look up into that cockpit where the pilot and the co-pilot's chair is. It's like. There's I no room. I think I would need both chairs just to fit in Yeah, my butt slot. cheek doesn't fit on one of them, you know? <laughs> so tiny tiny and like i said in the movies 
I've all, I always thought of them as being these great big airplanes, but then when you They're see not. one in real life, it's like that is it's not, not that big. big. I mean, our, our, our bombers now are massive. They are huge. They are bigger than right. commercial airliners, but these ones were not. I mean, this, this, this bomber was, um, was not at all. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was. And then a lot that they had a really cool section for the women fighters yeah. from World War II. And in fact, I don't know if you noticed it, but Disney yeah, actually well, Disney drew the did logos. their logos. Oh, I didn't, oh, know, I didn't know, that. know that. For the women. What was it called? The, I can't remember. <sighs> but they talked about the only. It was some, some the acronym fat. that we've. It's like PAC. Wa- well, I know WASP was the big name, but yeah. they had like a name. Like they were like the, the somethings. Well, and there was a there was a video that was playing about the first and the only uh, officer, female officer. Because uh, could, they could only have one. They would only allow one. And then there was somebody else that they'd hired. Or they wanted to come on and they're like, I'm not going to serve under that bitch. Well, she doesn't then, know anything about anything. And then it, I, I didn't watch a lot of that video, but a little bit when we were kind of there and they were sabotaging their planes. Like one of the planes crashed and they found sugar in the yeah, gas Because they tank. didn't want them to be successful. They yeah, they didn't want the women. How, how so messed you'd rather up. kill your own and how ruin your own stuff. But, but they have a really cool display with, with Does that surprise you, Julia? And see someone succeed on your team. And then, That's uh, not you. Towards the back of the first hangar, <coughs> they had the wreckage. I don't know if you saw that. Yep. The, From one Alaska. Of the, one of the gunner turrets that was wrecked, and then they had one of the... That had been under, it had been underwater for years and years, and they pulled it up, and then one that was all refurbished so you could see, see the like, difference. Yeah, how much it had deteriorated in the salt water. So, so yeah, yeah, that was really cool. So th- you get all of that in the first wing. That, yeah, that's just the first. And so you have early space. flight. It takes and you up can through see, World War II. Yeah, they have. They, oh no, it takes you through the Korean War because the Korean War is that shack. Oh yeah, shack is all the Korean War. That's right. That's and right. And they have like the they have the mash helicopter in there too, don't they? Yes. Um, the mash style helicopter. I don't remember what type of chopper it is. Um, but so all the way through the Korean War. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of trainers that are all hanging. And so they actually have the T28, which is the one that is still flown today. So they're, they're the different aircraft that pilots train on before they get into the, you know, million dollar aircraft. <laughs> well, and then the walkway between the two hangars is a big, huge timeline of. Yeah. Like the beginning of Hill to, it's I think, pretty current. Pretty much to yeah, today. pretty much to today. And on one side. And on the other side, it's a glass display. Yeah, where you, there's has, some planes outside. Uh, some planes. So it's got a MiG-21, um, a MiG-17, uh, and RF-4C. So they're non-American planes. And they put those on the outside. You know. you, and then you can see behind them all a C-140, the Jetstar, which is a former Air Force One. It's the Air Force One that LBJ used. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so, and you can see it's much smaller than what the Air Force One is now. <laughs> yeah, Air Force One now is just basically a commercial. It is a commercial or... jet that's been it's converted, heavily modified. But this was an early version of Air Force One that LBJ used, uh, and it's restored to what it should have been looking like then. And so that one's kind of off in the distance. Um, and then you get into the second hangar, which is the newer hangar, and has all of the jets all, and that, all of the weapons and the drones. Well, that and starts. It starts with Vietnam. And the satellites. Yeah, so you see, so most of That's the jets... That's where the list is of all the people. Yeah, so most of the jets is the F-100 series. So you got the F-100, the 101, the 102, 104, 105s, um, the 106s. Then you get to the F-11s, and in the back is where you're going to see the F-15s, the F-16s, which is what... The F-16s are the Thunderbirds, so when you see like the Air Force Aces, they have three F-16s back there. They also have an A-10 back there. I don't know if you guys noticed yep. the A-10. Yep. 
Uh, they also have, which is not on their map, drones. Uh, yep. They have three different drones. They have one of the early drones. They actually have um, another one that's not a drone but a decoy that uh, yeah. the bomber tosses out to confuse enemy radar yep. uh, before it does a bombing run, which I thought was really freaking cool. So mm-hmm. it looks like a miniaturized plane, essentially, and I'm guessing the way it's designed is specifically to get radar to think it's a real plane so they shoot at it instead of the bombers. Um and yeah, so each of those planes, they all look very, very similar. And the truth is the, the design changes on them are not super massive. They've got different wing types. What's, what Jonathan commented on that I, I found as well is those, the jets that we use, fighter jets that we used during Vietnam era, those F-100 series. So those are your, all your sonic jet, your supersonic jets. They're really long. They're really big. Yeah. They're not tiny planes. They're they're very large planes. Yeah, you think like where Jeremy was saying, some of the others were bigger than he expected. These were long small. and small. Well, these are basically, or I mean, long, really bit longer than long. you expect. Basically, a rocket that you strap yeah, you, a dude onto. Yeah, yeah you, you kind of think <laughs> of it as like something small that you get in, and it's like this one man little teeny tiny thing. Well, and it's the, not huge. In the early days of jet propulsion, that's what it was. They had really big turbojets, and they stuck wings on them. Like, well, that's huh. what it took before. Modern fuels. I mean, back in mm-hmm. the 50s, 60s, 70s, when they were improving fuel, it took something that big to push. Which is where Chris was explaining fuel, and then we ran across the tour guide explaining fuel in the what was oh, it? Oh, okay. So so we got through. So you get the F-15, which has like been the workhorse for years. It's no longer the workhorse that's being moved over. The Isn't F-16. That what they're using it over in Russia and at, in the, Ukraine? Not right? in Russia. Um, well, in at, the Ukraine? No, they're using MiGs because MiGs. Ukraine is a former Soviet state. And well, so, Russia is, but didn't we give no, Ukraine no, something? Because oh. they don't know how to fly them. Because they know how to oh, fly. Oh, we gave Israel something, and Israel gave them theirs. I think. No. I swear that's what happened. <laughs> no. Are you anyway, sure? there was a deal that was trying to happen from some of the former Soviet states, like Poland, where we were going to transfer F-15s to, say, Poland. Okay. And they were Poland. going to give MiGs to the Ukraine, but so that see, did I not happen. Something, but I didn't know. But that did not happen. Oh. We do sell, however, a ton of F-15s to Israel. Um, most of their air force. I was just getting everything F-15s. confused. Um, and so it's okay, me too. It's still a very common plane. It is. It is the F fifteen Tomcat. That it. That's Tom Cruise and Top Gun. That's what he's flying is an F fifteen. There are three F 16s which is the Air Force's real. The Air Force's thing is the F sixteen. F 15s were more of a Navy thing, honestly. Uh, which Tom Cruise was a naval pilot, by the way, not Air Force. In case you're wondering. Um, that's why he flew off of aircraft carriers. We <laughs> uh, F-16s, um, that's the, like the Thunderbirds, the really cool aerial stunt show people. Uh, and then by the drones, including the current Predator drone, there's a, there's a Predator drone that's there. Obviously, there's no munitions. Um, there's the F-117, which was the first real stealth fighter in operation. And then there's an SR-71 on display. So the F-117 and the SR-71 are two of the really big draws to the Aerospace Museum because those are really hard planes to get to see in real life. Yep. Because SR-71... They were, they were a lot bigger than I expected. The SR-71 is a spy plane. And it was a, it's a very hard to detect on radar spy plane. It flies, you know, this is back in the day before we really had good satellite imagery. We flew them over Russia constantly. The thing is, they fly so high that you have to wear a pressurized flight suit. Well, and they're shaped funny. Um, and one of the things you're is, funny. because when you're flying <laughs> at the, the altitude, and I, I want to say they fly at like 70,000 feet into the stratosphere. It's a lot. Um, 
do. I'm just going to look it up. So I don't well, and they'd have to wear such heavy fleece so they wouldn't all get th- hypothermia. Well, they wear pressure. They, pressure. Yeah. Oh, okay. So their yeah. their their cruising altitude um, was above eighty five thousand feet. So that's why, because they're literally so in the show. That's a lot of feet. That's about. at least ten. You're you're right in the atmosphere. You're, yeah, you're you're, you're touching you're pretty the dang outer, close to orbiting. You're yeah. 16 miles above sea level at that at that altitude, and so the temperatures and the air acts differently. It's much thinner. The atmosphere is it's different. Cold. That's why you have to wear a pressurized suit. It's incredibly cold, so they have to have heaters in their suits, and um, the the metal of the plane contracts when you get that high up in the atmosphere. So one of the things, this is the thing that I was talking about. I was telling Jonathan about it. The SR-71s, when they are on the ground about to take off, they are literally dripping fuel out of the body of the aircraft. Because It's not because they feel it too full. It's because the fuel tanks have purposefully built spacing in them, as does parts of the aircraft. There are gaps, and so the fuel basically just pours out as they're sitting on the tarmac. Once they get out and get up to uh, cruising altitude, the metal contracts because it gets so cold uh, or expands rather, not contracts. So then it all fits properly. The metal expands just like an ice cube does in an ice tray, like water does to form a piece of ice and seals up all the holes. Well, they, they fuel it just enough for them to take off and then they put more fuel as they get higher and higher so that as the gaps are closing, they're fully fueled. So, and... I think it was probably really closer to 70,000 feet above sea level where they flew more often than not, but they can get up to 85,000. Uh, and they fly at speeds higher than Mach 3.2, so three times the speed of sound. They're able to survey um, roughly 100,000 square miles in just one hour. And so that's all they did. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have guns. They had cameras. Right. Well, and this was, like you were saying, this was before satellites were what they are today so you had to have a plane go up and take those pictures i mean and now they can zoom in with satellites and see what you're eating for breakfast but before that technology existed yeah and they they were retired by the u.s in the late 90s so 98 for the air force and 99 for nasa i think so we kind of zoomed around talking about the planes but i want to make sure that we talk about the pow's um oh yeah there's a whole section um where they've got the names listed of those folks that died that that outlines like what the conditions were like for pow's during the vietnam war and what happened to, to them there's pictures there's um some doors you don't get to open them and go in or anything but there's like Prison. doors of their their mock up of yeah. the the hano the was it hano Han- hanoi Han- 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 hanoi hotel hanoi the, the hanoi hotel or hotel hanoi or whatever it was um so it was referred to as, so it was a prison. As you go along the back, they named all of them after like uh, American things, like hotels and motels, to like keep them straight. So as you go behind all of the F one hundred series fighters, um, along the wall, along the wall, that's where you're seeing a lot of this history. There's a display of, um, I, I, is it from Vietnam? The medals, the, 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 yeah. the tags. tags. The U- People from Utah who died in Vietnam. Yeah, and it's it's just a display of dog tags. All the dog tags. And you can see how many there are. Um, and, yeah. The, the Hanoi the, Hilton. Yeah, there we the, go, Hanoi. The, the Hanoi Hilton. <laughs> Thank you. To me, that was probably the most powerful display of everything they had in I the museum. Say. 
because you got to see you got to see just how tiny those doors were but i think the the more powerful one is they have a little a little area where you can walk in and they've got some stuff talking about what happened at the Hanoi Hilton? They have reproductions of the type of uh, propaganda crap that they had to post in there. And then you can look into what would have been a cell where you see the ankle straps. You see the four bunks and they have four human-sized mannequins inside. And you can see just how no space there was and what these guys had to had to live with day in and day out in yeah. these cells. Somebody pretty much sat on the floor and somebody got to be in the bed and then they trade. Because yeah. it was so... So narrow. narrow and cramped and tiny and um yeah, it's really that was a really interesting, really powerful I'm glad you 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 mentioned that. Well and just to call out just because this I look for this name wherever we go, when my mom was young, um, you know it, it was her day and age that that were being drafted for the Vietnam War and the man that she was going to marry was drafted and died in Vietnam and his name is up on the wall and I sent that to my mom and it was just, it, it made me emotional the whole rest, almost the whole rest of the time. It, it was, took me a, quite a while to kind of recover from it's powerful, like looking at his name on there. Cause I've seen it in DC too, but just like in DC it's small and it's on this big, huge wall of a whole bunch of people. And here it was like, it made it so much more personal and to see the display of, of just Utahns. Yeah. And yeah. where people you know, may have stayed as prisoners of war. And, and you think about all of the, the people that came back and how messed up some of them were. And, and there were so many things that went wrong with that war. The reason that we were there, the way it was fought, what they came back to, what they dealt with while they were there. Like the people that were prisoners of war were, I mean, there's just, obvious that's the most obvious trauma but you got to think about the people that didn't get captured that managed to get away and they know that they're just you know feet miles whatever it is away from other americans and there's there's nothing that they can do about it they're they know that they're trapped there they know that they're being treated deplorably um it was it was an inhumane war and it and the people that came back with from it were changed forever and some were able to to recover and go on and lead pretty normal lives. But some of the homeless that we talk about now, the older homeless that won't go in for help and that want to live on the streets, some of those are still our Vietnam War vets that um, they they don't want they don't want to be helped. They don't want to be saved. They feel like the country betrayed them, and they choose to be. They're not wrong on the streets. So I've I've talked about it before, but um, my dad growing up in Pocatello. When the draft came out for Vietnam, he was like number 18. That's why he enlisted. And that's because he's like, well, I'm not going to get drafted and not get to choose. So that's mm-hmm. why he went. My uncle, on the other hand, was like number 720. <laughs> so he, he never got called up. But yeah, my dad was like. Well, and there were, especially early on, there were issues with the draft in terms of the people that were going because of how they were doing the draft and they had to adjust it because they were pulling so many people out of certain, you know, out right. of certain birth times and stuff like that. Right. So, so um, anyway, yeah, the Vietnam section is probably, I would say the most powerful, just the way they've done it is excellent. The way they've set that display up 
very emotional. There's another really cool display too. Um, so there's the C-130 outside and the Hill has actually taken a C-130 and basically chopped it up. They took the wings off. They took the nose off. Uh, they've, they've sealed it up, air conditioned and fire, you know, made it fire safe essentially. It, they basically made an extension of the building. Yeah. And so it's actually the coolest part of the entire museum because it's got like pumped in air conditioning. Yeah, literally. Versus. He doesn't mean coolest by like rad. He means I mean, coolest like, like cold. So you go in, you get to go inside of a C-130, which, I mean, it's kind of cool, I guess, if you've never been inside one. I've got to fly in one and have the back opened up. It was funny because Chris was on one side of me and a guy that has been in one was on the other side of me and I could hear them like kind of saying the same things like one would say it and then the other would or one would say something and then this person would say something different and then they would kind of flip and then the other one would and it was kind of listening but you get to, to them. climb up into the cockpit a little yep, bit and look in there cool. um, they have it blocked off so you can't actually go sit on the seats um, but you get to see what it's like to fly in one of those transports and that's that's still how you fly they have like a little video that kind of shows you how like all of the things it can do yeah. because it can be repurposed to do so many things yeah I mean that's why it was called the Swiss Army Knife they could put guns they, they were yeah. able to do like massive cargo men whatever they needed they could outfit that relief thing relief drops ammunition drops yeah, food it's, drops it's the work it's only just now really being phased out completely right is this it's, it's, it's still being used is C-130 yeah. still being Use. It said it's still in use. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're, they're phasing them out with some of the other the, newer. The cockpit reminded me of the bigger semi trucks because mm-hmm. it had the driver's seat or the driver's seat. It had the, the pilot, the co pilot, and the navigator. But then it had a big bench seat and then a bunk bed up at, up top. Uh huh. So it reminded me of those. Because those are long range aircraft yeah. and they usually have more than one person flying on those missions. So. so it's cool. I mean, it's definitely, you could see how it's the workhorse. I mean, it's bare bones. There are no whistles and bells, but very versatile. Yeah. And you can see in the floor all of the latches where they can. Put. Like there's one probably every foot. Well, and we we talked about that with the one of the helicopters that's in there as well because oh, that's yeah. a, it's a very similar thing. The what is it? The CH three I think is the one. Um, and you can not the CH two, maybe it's the other one, but you can actually see like all of the separation that they do. Yeah, they have it open up, and on one side they've got the gun. The gun mount, mount, but you can also see. Well, they have the gun mount, but they also have like the rescue hook hanging yeah, the down rescue from the hook. And so it's kind of the helicopter version. Yeah, of the, and you can see the inside. Uh, same thing. Like you can have a bunch of seating. You can have different configurations inside. Yeah, guns, uh, ammunition, or people. Yeah, so it's ba- basically there are very similar ones a plane, ones a helicopter, but they both do a lot of the same. Just day to day. And so work. one of the other things, so as you, you're by the, the, the Vietnam exhibit, you get to see, and you get to see current munitions, right? So they have a whole bunch of the different air to ground, air to air bombs, a bunch of that different stuff. Actually, one thing that I didn't mention is in the history area in the first building, um, if you go around to where the B-25 is, you can actually see Three different versions of atomic bombs. The nukes. The early nukes. Yep. So you can see the early Manhattan Project rep- replica that they have that was used in some movie. Uh, and they've got two others. Um, and they actually have like f- five or six actual versions of, of those, uh, including um, at some point in there, I can't remember where you actually, there's a couple of cruise, Tomahawk cruise missiles visible as well. I think those are in the, that was in the, the fighter, second in one. The, in the second building. Next to the, what? By the fighters. 
Yeah, not the dirty, but the cluster bombs. Yeah, and so, and then we get to the cluster bombs. Which is Julia's favorite and the most deadly and the most, uh, I inhumane. thought it was cool to see inside so of they, them though. Yeah, I didn't know what they look like. They do cutaways onto the inside yeah. of these with It was plexiglass. like a big thing with tiny missiles in it. And cluster bombs are fucked up. Cluster bombs are one of the most non-discriminate, completely fucked things that you can use in so warfare. So they're cluster fucks. Yep. And basically, if you don't know the way a cluster bomb works, this is one of the things Russia has used in Ukraine that everyone's really pissed about. You fire these things out, and they basically open up in flight and drop tens, if not hundreds, of different bombs, and they're not guided. So, like, where... You have something like a cruise missile that's a guided missile that hits a specific intended yeah, target. Like even laser guided. Yeah, can, even like when Predator drones are doing drone missile strikes. Those are laser guided missiles that are very targeted. And there is collateral damage with them, but not like this. When cluster bombs go, you can target a building and then it's going to hit a square mile around that building. Everything. And it's just going to fucking hit everything. and Just peppers um, everything. Yeah. It's, it's like buckshot. They're horrible. They're absolutely horrible. But you get to see the cutaway, and it is actually really cool to see the They are interesting to see the different types. One of them looked like round canisters, a bunch mm-hmm. of round canisters. Some of them look like little, little mini missiles. Yeah, little tiny missiles. Some of them look like big bullets. Some of them look like little chunks of barbed wire looking mm-hmm. something. You couldn't quite tell what it was. But there's there's a bunch of uh, different like Sidewinder missiles and stuff like that that are on display as well, some of the air-to-air stuff. It's cool. I really enjoyed it. I mean, we've talked about it for, fuck, it's been almost an hour now that we've been talking about this I, thing. I would definitely say of our Utah experiences so far, this was probably one of my favorites. And I don't know. I would agree with that. I don't know how many aerospace museums there are around the country. Like, I've been to the Smithsonian Aerospace Museum and I'll say, like, I don't think anything compares to that because of what they have access well, to. Because they have, like, they have all the NASA shit. Yeah, and that's true. A, they have. But if you if you take out the space stuff, yeah, it's they still got, have a ton of stuff. They've got a bunch of stuff. They've got a bunch but, of early history of flight but stuff. But like, it's like our museum. I, but yeah, they yeah. don't not like the Leonardo's history. Of yeah, no. <laughs> that, but they, so the the Hill yeah. Aerospace Museum. So they couldn't fit all the stuff they have in the Aerospace Museum into the Smithsonian. The, those planes, you're not going to get into the no. Smithsonian. They have a handful of planes hanging from ceilings in the Smithsonian, and they do have certain days of the year where they open up the planes mm-hmm. outside. You got to kind of watch for it, but, but they, they'll do special events and, and then stuff they'll like open that. stuff up and you can actually go through not everything, but, but some of the planes that are out and outside, they'll do that with. Um, so it is, again, it's free. You should definitely donate to the museum. If you go, uh, just a small fee. Um, we were going to do another event up there or going to do another adventure up there and piggyback them. But after, like three hours in the museum between outside and inside, we were all like, I think that's good. And I mean, clearly we've talked about it for over an hour and I still don't even think we're not even, we're no. just skimming the surface on a lot of the stuff. They, they had the whole, we didn't do it, but they had the whole three They have a simulator, simulator yeah. experience thing. So there's, there's a lot. And they have the Zamboni, right, Julia? Yeah, totally. <laughs> that was so cute. So, I mean, if you, if you stopped and what read. What in the Zamboni is this? If you stopped and read every plaque and really took the time to read it, you could be there all day easy. Oh, and you wouldn't get through it all. You probably wouldn't get through the first building if you were reading everything. Because we were thing. skimming. I think we looked at everything, but I well, know. Well, and some of it, read. like, I know you guys knew, and so you kind of were like, I don't really need to read the plaque. So you were just like, you know, grabbing it. 
couple high points and stuff like that. So and yeah, I if learned you go there are ejection seats and those are an actual thing and not just in cartoons. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of them and I was like, wait, it's a thing. And I took That's pictures. They had the, they had the, Haven't you seen Maverick? The cutaway. They, they had gun. the, the nose Maverick. of the plane. The first one. It's Top Gun. Top Gun. Whatever. They no, had the nose of the plane, a real nose of a plane, but yeah, they had the injection seat and so yeah. you could get up close to it and see it. But it's just so cool what they have. And most of the old timers there are volunteers who oh, used and to they, be there for Except will, for that one girl. I think it's that she, I don't know what she was, but she knew a lot. But that, the guy that checked us in, he. They, they know so much yeah. shit and they would love to talk to you about it. And they're happy to talk to anyone that's in there. Uh, it is, I mean, it's a place I know there are, there are folks that I know that take their kids there regularly. What? Um, it changes and they update it. And cause yeah. it's been a few years since we've been there, but. Since the last time we were there, it's had a lot of changes. Yeah, and they're kind. Con- I mean, we saw three or four areas where they were working on exhibits, yeah, for example, that are, that are coming. Uh, and so that whole upstairs part mm-hmm. in the second building that's closed at the moment. But if you notice, they had uh, an it? exhibit that's coming. The up there. Gay. Yeah, they had. The, I mean, uh, uh, like a, a a panel from it. So that, that's that's in the first building, by the way. Oh, was that the first building? So so lots of stuff that they're working on forthcoming. Yeah. So. Four or five months from now, it could be a, a different it, experience. It's definitely something you can spend an entire day at without even blinking. I mean, I felt like we moved through it pretty quick, and it ended up being over three hours. Um, and you don't even... It didn't feel like that. No. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be a big airplane buff or a big war buff. No, it's to, just freaking just cool. Really... Seeing those aircraft is just unbelievable, up close and personal. It, it changes your perspective. Like I say, the older uh, World War II stuff, it's not as big as you'd think it would be. But those jet fighters are a lot, are a lot bigger, bigger than you think they would be. Well, well yeah, like, like when those... you drive in and you drive past the outside ones and you're driving in your car past the planes and you're like, I'm very small. Well, so for instance, like the F-100s, I talked about how long those were. Those were all bigger than the B-17s. Oh, yeah. All bigger than that B-17. Yep. Uh, in terms of and like... The B-17 like had what? Seven people? Seven or eight dudes in it. <laughs> it was mostly a big open shell that flew. <laughs> like, um, So anyway, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Uh, we definitely enjoyed it. Uh, we'll have some uh, great stuff for you guys next month. We have a really fun adventure planned for next month. Uh, so we'll... we'll um, have fun, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's right i know we what, we've done i've done some of the things you guys are gonna be doing so, so i can talk yeah. about past experiences yeah. so we'll 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 talk about that next month um we still have another month of summer uh it's still hot as fuck uh you should still not light fires um <laughs> or fireworks um and, and you should still be conserving water let us know uh if you like the stuff that we do or you don't like it what you would change about it um, certainly us telling you about events that happen three days from now is probably a bad idea. Uh, Jeremy probably needs to look three weeks out <laughs> well, for stuff, yeah. but some uh, of them though, it, like, like the, the claw, it's just because we were there. We, we've talked about it. anyway, but yes. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, hit us up on social media is we're at TNU podcast everywhere. Uh, and our website, the new Uh, you can go see us there. Um, links to different things and, uh, yeah, that's it. Hopefully have a good uh good week. Bye.